Welcome to the Fourth Estate Podcast. On the hottest day of the year so far, I managed to catch up with the busiest director in the UK, Jeremy Herrin, before he had to rush off to a rehearsal for Wolf Hall and bring up the bodies. As he explains, every show is different and actors and audience alike are kept on their feet. Based on the double Booker Prize winning novels by the inimitable Hilary Mantel, Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies are proving a runaway success in their transition to the West End. So sit back and listen to a master at work talk cuts, corsets and Ben Miles' juice breaks. Uh, Jeremy Heron, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, and firstly, I guess congratulations are in order for the amazing success of, um, of firstly at the RSC and Swan Theatre and then transitioning to London, which is what we're here to talk about. Uh, so how did you first come to the project? I got sent it by, um, I think it was the RSC, I think it was Greg Doran who sent it to me. I'd had a meeting with it, with him and he, he rang me up and asked me if I was interested in mm. doing Wolf Hall. I said, of course I am, because who wouldn't be? Mm. Um, and then read the adaptations and thought, um, this is going to be great. It's going to be a lot of work, but it's mm. going to be really great. Mm. Um, and there was a sort of a jockeying for the timing of the project because yeah. we knew that the BBC adaptation was in progress, mm. um, and so there was a there was a, uh, a few weeks where we were wary of when they were going to go into production, mm. and when we were able to go into production, just so that it didn't suddenly all happen at the same time, which would have yeah. not been supportive. But the fact that we could get the shows out before um, before they were doing the filming mm. meant that it, it would all be fine. Mm. So you've kind of spoken about theatre as a very collegiate enterprise yeah. um, and this presumably this is obviously with you know notwithstanding that the novels come to kind of a thousand pages but the cast that you were dealing with mm. was, was quite huge as well kind of doubling up of characters and you weren't yeah. just dealing with as I think as Mike Pogson says in his introduction it's kind of interesting for him to deal with um, a writer who's still alive but um, for you I guess you've worked yeah. with Polly Stenham and but here you have two authors who are alive was it kind of a just one massive collaboration, or was it a bit trickier well, than that? It's well, it's always it's a it's a really complicated one because you've got you've got several sort of moving targets mm. in in a way. In that, if you're just doing much to do about nothing, then the author's dead, the text exists. Mm. There isn't even a kind of um, a, a correspondence about which text. You know, there it is. That's the, that's the thing. Mm. Uh, no one's going to be offended if you um, cut it because there's been hundreds of different productions. This is um, beloved, two beloved novels mm. based on history that's been done in all sorts of different versions before. Mm. Uh, you're working with um, an adapter, you're working with a national theatre company and some commercial producers. Mm. There's sort of all sorts of budgetary constraints, there's the, the actual time uh, that you've got for an, for an audience to experience those stories. There's all sorts of brilliant challenges, and I've, I've, I regard them all as really fun mm. sort of things, you know, in, in, a, in a way to really test my ability as a director and my, my ability to, to keep the show on. I thought this is either going to be a spectacular failure or it will be, you <laughs> know, glorious. <laughs> no. And I suppose that there's something really that keeps you honest about um, the, the danger of, of, you know, being being exposed uh, in your work you know it's always it's always good to, to really push yourself and this was certainly full of all sorts of challenges and for it to work we've all had to work together we've all had to work out 
um, what the best version is and mm. and talk it through and um, so yeah it's been it's been really it's been a really brilliant opportunity to pr prove that the best theatre is collaborative yeah did you find um, that your directing style I don't know if you subscribe to one particular kind of school of thought but did it change much with this project as being something very different to what you've done before than just dealing with you know rehearsal process one on one basis yeah that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I, I would hope that I'm not the sort of director whose work you can immediately like, spot. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, don't, I, yeah. Don't, I would hope that I don't have a signature, mm. sort of signature on sort of anything too emblematic. I always yeah. try and work with different designers depending on the project that I'm working on, mm. and I always try and find what what I think that the core of that thing is, mm. and find a way to release it on stage depending on who you're working with, what sort of space you're in, and what the what the sort of undertow of that, of that particular story is. So, yeah, I would hope that it, so to answer your question then, you know, yes, I would hope that it was different mm. because it was a very specific project. It was the first time that I'd worked with lots of those actors mm. and some of the creative team. Um, but also I hope that it, it was a sort of an honest account of what's in those stories. It felt like we got to where we needed to get to if that makes sense. No, 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 at all. And obviously there are kind of some cuts and revisions between the play that was performed at the Swan and now the one yeah. that's at the Aldwych. What was kind of the biggest challenge for you all in terms of making that transition between theatres? And I guess it's just another opportunity to kind of do it again, but were there any substantial changes and if you had to do it again at another theatre? I think the thing is, is that these things are constantly evolving. I mean, yeah. on a nightly basis, they're changing. Yeah. In the way that the the actors are talking to each other, the audience is different every evening. Different things are happening in the world. Different things are happening in people's minds. But these things are sort of organic. So that if you do have another look at it, yes, the main thing is is that you're dealing with another space. You're dealing with another physical space. Mm -hmm. So, uh, on a really simple level, the version in Stratford was in a room that the, where the audience was on three sides, mm -hmm. and there was only five hundred of them. Now the audience are on one side and there's 1,200 of them. So you'd hope that that doesn't fundamentally sort of necessitate sort of reanimation mm. of the whole story, but it gives you an opportunity to do things slightly differently in order to get that information across mm. to, the, to that new group of people in that new configuration. Mm. And as you're doing that, because those physical elements are up for grabs, it sparks your imagination and you think actually we can do, you know, we can do this, there's a sort of new neural pathway opens mm. up and you think actually we can get this information in a slightly different way mm. we can get the running times down which would be good that's always good mm. you get the same have the same fun but with shorter running times always a good thing no one ever misses those those cuts um, and so it felt like an op to me it, all, it always feels like a creative opportunity mm. just before we started this interview I was explaining that I had to rush off because we were having a look at a bit that's that stopped working and yeah. I know that I'll get down to the theatre this evening at 6 o'clock before the show tonight me and the actors will be there. We'll have a look at it. Someone will come up with a thought. I'll respond to it. They'll respond to it. We'll come up with a new bit mm. because we're there and we're working on it. And, and these things are, you would hope, are constantly alive. I think yeah. it's, a, it's a frightening day when, it, when you can't change anything, you know? No, absolutely. And uh, the script comes with this incredible resource for the actors, I guess, the um, notes by Hilary Motel. Yeah. Did you really kind of encourage the actors to, to focus on that? Because I guess it's kind of a look inside the mind of 
the person who's writing inside the mind of all these very famous minds and it's kind of yeah i don't know if, if actually some people maybe found that restrictive or no. if it did just kind of completely open things and just give so much more detail yeah i mean it's a kind of an incredible resource mm. for an actor mm. because they're not prescriptive but they're incredibly helpful mm. and she writes in such a hillary writes in such a bottled and sort of wonderful wonderfully um it's so concentrated mm. her prose that the tiniest nuance just pays real dividend mm. um and yet it's not prescriptive it's not sort of reductive or mm. uh it gives a real platform for interpretation for the actors so yeah i mean there's no point in encouraging or discouraging it it's just that you're working with one of the, the greatest writers she's in rehearsals she's talking to us why why wouldn't you embrace that you know it's all, all really terrific mm. and i love the um the first line of the Anne Boleyn one is that you do not have six fingers and that just kind of seems to say so much about it in just yeah. a few words it's incredible yeah so how was the rehearsal process did you kind of want to get it up on its feet quite quickly or was there a lot of kind of um, talking to begin with there's enough talking I mean not too much but you need to just sort of establish mm. you, you need to establish in the early part of rehearsal you need to establish mm. um, some shared objectives uh, you need to establish the sense that this isn't going to be generalised, going to be rigorous, that it's going to be explored, they're mm. going to be difficult, specific questions that everybody needs to address. Mm. There was a degree of research that we had to do that was really helpful. Mm. I was always terrified that it would become a kind of generalised um, sort of historical epic and yeah. not specific or real. So I, 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 I realised, I suppose, that, that um, where I, I learned about theatre most was the Royal Court and, and that was about really trying to understand what the characters are doing to each mm. other underneath the story yeah. and, and that, that supports my interest in, in work that's sort of political where people have competing mm. objectives and political agendas um, without being able to say exactly what it is they're after mm. and there's often great drama in those sort of seismic um, machinations mm. so I kind of boiled it down we boiled, boiled it down as a company into you know what the real transactions were mm. and specifically about where and when and because the plays go over um, those two books and a variety of locations and they're presented in uh, a more abstracted physical style than a kind of literal mimetic yeah. realism we had to be I felt it was really important that we were very clear about where we were yeah. and when we were so that it wouldn't become sort of generalised and gestural mm. in a way that some some theatre some theatre can be. Mm. Um, so there was a, a week or two of that of going through the text, mm. of suggesting cuts, suggesting rewrites, querying Mike where it wasn't clear, mm. um, challenging his assumptions, you know, making the jokes uh, work, understanding why this bit is included and not that bit, you know, all of that stuff. Mm. And then to get it on its feet and discover physical language, mm. which was probably for me the most satisfying part of the process. Yeah. What do you mean by physical language? How you stage it. Yeah. How you paint those stories and show those spatial relationships mm. to an audience and evolving a bit like Hillary's prose, evolving um, uh, an efficient way of moving between spaces. Mm fear was of so much material and we did do lots of cuts but when when I first got the scripts I don't know how many words there were but 
they would have been many many hours each you know <laughs> yeah. there was lots of de delicate negotiating to, to be done with with Mike and with Hillary and mm -hmm. the editors about about what we need and whether that's a repetition and you know it's very repetitive because I think they put lots of stuff in and then they've taken lots of stuff out mm -hmm. um, and in drafts of sort of editing uh, and when we got it in rehearsal there was still some editing to be done because they were just too they were just too long mm. for uh, an audience to, mm. to bear yeah. you know? so so we had to just sort of we had to cut back where we could and that was um, you know the part, part of that process was still to be done it was unfinished mm. when we got them in rehearsal they, they were very much rehearsal drafts so that was that was a lot of hard work and actually we were we were still trying to cut and get it, get the running time under. Um, by the time we were pressing in in Stratford, you know, we're mm -hmm. still working right to the last minute. Mm -hmm. So, one of the things that in the staging that I didn't want to do was I knew that they were, that, that was always going to be an issue with the texts, mm -hmm. so I didn't want to add any time. So I thought it was important, and I, and I quite like sort of that sleek mm -hmm. minimalism anyway. Um, I wanted to find a, uh, a physical style that wouldn't have any time on, so that you could start scenes before the previous scene had left the space, yeah. so that the audience are just constantly before they Keeping know. Keeping that pace yeah, going, exactly. Yeah. So that you, so that the audience are, um, that we're ahead of the audience, mm. you know, and, and occasionally, you know, before we did some cuts, the, the audience would get well ahead of us, and you'd see them switch off. It, mm. You know, they just they just zone out, and uh, with Hillary and, and Mike, we would spot where they were disengaged and we would cut those bits back um, to, 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 to the place where they're, they're at a healthy length now and, and audiences are generally focused and, and with us all the way, yeah. which is good. And I know you've uh, trained as an actor and from an acting standpoint, or is that completely wrong? No, no, I did. Yeah. You did, you did? Raising your eyebrows. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I went to drama school in, I did a degree at yeah. the Royal Scottish Academy, which is now the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, mm. I believe they mm. renamed it. Yeah. Um, but it was it was never my intention to become an actor. Yeah. What I wanted to do was to learn how to be a director, and I thought a good way of doing that was to learn what acting was, and to, to direct some good actors. Because mm. from an acting point of view, this, mm. these characters are so interesting. Because as you say, it's about finding the the specifics and the detail, and it must have been quite kind of a, a difficult journey to navigate in some ways because with some characters obviously you have to work really hard to work out what they actually want but in many ways these characters it's all quite obvious you know history tells us what they want yeah. but then finding actually the kind of truth in that must have been quite something I mean something that you worked on a lot in rehearsal I'm assuming or correct me or yeah well talking to Hillary and Mike about it they've got a very clear idea about what those characters I mean, someone like Thomas More is a really interesting case in point. Mm. In that, it feels like we're bombarded with versions of Thomas More, mm. um, and he's been interpreted to, you know, to serve various agendas mm. over the years. And Hillary is very, very clear about what she wanted to say about Thomas More with her character of Thomas More. Mm. And so you don't, you don't need to get too bogged down with. The historical records about that because it's an interpretation, yeah. Um, and Hillary's interpretations are, are always within sort of triangulation point of the historical yeah. record, mm -hmm. and yet she's very bold within those facts. I mean, Cromwell himself is a character where you know there's, there's not a massive amount about him, 
and yet what there is about him, Hillary completely honours, mm. and yet within those um, points, she's created a really vivid person. And they're all a bit like that, in that most of those characters are on the map, historically. Um, and yet the source material that we pondered most often were her novels and, and her words. Mm. So mm. that we just embraced the idea that we were doing Wolf Hall and Bent on the Body, because yeah. that's what we were doing. Yeah. Um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah. We were talking about acting. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's it. Um, <laughs> no, so um, one of the things that comes across mm. in the novel, in the novels, um, is you really feel kind of like you're seeing through things through Cromwell's yeah. eyes and kind of sitting there yeah. right with his shoulders, just everything about the way yeah. it's written. Was that quite a, a kind of particular hurdle that you felt you needed to, to get over with these? or? Well, yeah, it's in interesting because when I when I put, I'd read Wolf Hall, I hadn't read Bring Up the Bodies. I had to read Bring Up the Bodies really quickly mm. before I went to meet <laughs> meet Hillary. And luckily, it's a real it's a page turner. Yeah, I'm sure you agree. Um, but what I loved about the novel, and I'd read it before any of this had happened, and I it didn't once occur to me that it would work on stage. Mm. I just thought that's a really fantastically successful novel and what a brilliant bit of literary uh, work, you know, absolutely wonderful bit of writing. To really see the world through Cromwell's eyes, mm. to really feel what it's like to be here mm. and to witness those events from his point of view was just really spectacular. So that was the kind of first thing that um, I really considered. In the draft that I got, they'd been working on it a couple of years apparently, but in the draft that I got, there were all sorts of different conventions. There was direct address, mm. there was um, soliloquy, there was uh, flashbacks, mm. there was all sorts of different ways of telling the story. Mm. Um, and it was lots of conversations with Mike and Hillary uh, and encouraging them to be just very specific about the, the mode mm. and the mode of storytelling and to be really clear and mm. not to move around. Um, in terms of conventions too much because I feared that that would just blunt, blunt our cause a little bit. Um, and so, yes, you don't get the interior language that you get in the novel mm. of Cromwell, but what you do get is Cromwell is always a fixed point, and certainly in terms of the staging, mm. I've always, he's on most of the time, there's only like three minutes in each play where you don't really see him. And that's because um, Ben Miles needs a pit stop, so he, he, <laughs> he goes off stage yeah, and gets pumped full of whatever it is, apple juice and, <laughs> and sort of, I don't know, glucose or Kendall Mint cake or whatever. <laughs> he needs to sustain the kind of incredible physical feat yeah. that he achieves eight times a week. Um, but we have him, we have Cromwell as a, as a fixed point. Mm. So you might not be seeing it through his eyes, but he's always the reference. His presence is yeah. kind of very much felt. Um, and of course we have to go outside that to show mm. the events that mm. he's dealing with. Mm. Um, in, in a way, the, in, in the novel you've got a much sort of broader canvas mm. and you can look you can look at that can canvas through his eyes. Mm. But we've done an equivalent in terms of the staging. And I think also, I think you know, there's you have a choice where, whereby you have those novels and I never felt that we should compete with the novels because the two things, the two art forms are completely, yeah. they're not, you know, exclusive. Um, 
and these would make, we always felt, and hopefully we're right, would make really exciting plays, full of humour and intrigue and drama, horror, momentum. Uh, and the novels are their own things as mm. well. So I don't think it's, we're not trying to replicate the experience of, of the novels, we're trying to use the novels as a, as a departure into a, mm. a new medium. And I think that's the thing that Hillary is, it seems to have embraced so much, is how her stories that were conceived for the novel have made that transition without losing their integrity, yeah. but actually enjoying the ride. Mm. You know, and she's completely brilliant because she gave us permission to reinvent mm and to deal with things and characters that only appear in brilliant bodies um, are in both plays because you know of consistency mm. uh, little amalgams happen things that happen in the novels between two people have been put into one character just mm. so she's got a real understanding of of the the form of theater and how that, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a compromise yeah in terms of the, uh, her artistic intent mm. So how did you keep it kind of, I guess, fresh for an audience of, of this day and age in the sense that, you know, within the context of historical fiction plays, especially ones about Tudor period, you've got kind of Schiller and Shakespeare, but yeah. it's obviously all contemporary dress within contemporary to the time period. But how did you kind of make that, not accessible, but... Yeah. Yeah, I, know, like, I know exactly what you mean. It was yeah. All, yeah, it was really yeah to make it sort of present and immediate and without. Yeah. I suppose you don't want all those layers mm. of like, received information yeah. about what that sort of drama should kind of should be. Tudor yeah, because in, in aspect, yeah. aspic somehow mm. it, it's sort of deadening. Well, I mean, we made sort of strong and contemporary choices in terms of the 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 creative team that I assembled, and when we got together, we just tried to find the most. Mm. contemporary way of getting that across mm. I mean part of the audiences are really I, I find audiences are really bright they don't need yeah, to be head over head <laughs> yeah, with absolutely. information again and again yeah. so I think you know they can really handle um, abstraction they can really handle minimalism mm. and you just give them the smallest hint and they're on to it mm. it's great as long mm. as you're consistent in your storytelling then it's, there's integrity they mm. can go with it so um, we, we made some choices in the design we decided early to keep it uh, in the period in terms of costume mm. because it felt like there's something just such a weirdly that's sort of slightly unfashionable to do that full on fantastic mm. uh, costume, but to put it in a context that's a bit more modernist. So mm. it's a sort of abstracted concrete playing space with quite a dominant um, religious symbol at the back. Mm. It's an opportunity for really bold expressionistic writing but the music isn't period music, it's a sort of almost filmic underscore um, with a sort of surprising collection of instruments that in no way is attempting to be period and yet it needs to serve that stuff. So so, so just pure production choices, I think we just followed our instincts and, and did what we thought would, would emotionally support it without having to be too um, literal. Mm. And I'm sure there's a really brilliant, um, fun, modern dress production that somebody will do at some point, mm. maybe me myself at, at <laughs> some point further down the line, because I think you could have a lot of fun yeah. finding a way of doing those scenes and it would still function mm. as a political drama in a way that Shakespeare survives um, anything that you can, can throw at it. And I mean, it's not a direct 
comparison with Shakespeare because I think Shakespeare's got the the edge on Mike Poulton. I'm sure he would be the first to, <laughs> to acknowledge it. But there is something timeless about yeah. Mike's work in the sense that it's those um, very character-driven political objectives, those spiritual concerns um, that you could transfer to all sorts of different societies. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's made such a connection um, in that people can apply those issues to any historical Mm. Periods, you know, because you're talking about religious fervor, fervor, you're talking about fundamentalism, you're talking about a broke tradition, you're talking about a, a sort of modernizing political influence in Cromwell, mm. you're talking about honor, you're talking about spirituality, you're talking about family ties, you're talking about the fear of the future, you're talking about the establishment of a dynasty. All of these things you can you can transpose to. Um, you know, Stalinist Russia or mm. turn, of the, turn of the century China, mm. contemporary England, all of these things, it refracts and it um, reflects mm. what's going on everywhere all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those tales. And I mean, you must know these, these novels kind of inside out. Um, I know these plays inside out, I think that's true to say. And I've read the novels twice, but I really resisted being the, the sort of directive that would say oh, but in, on page 57 yeah, yeah. it says this <laughs> because what I tried to do was I tried to represent the audience coming to it for the first time mm. and it was always my ambition for both these shows for them to make as much sense to somebody who had an M, you know, an MA in Tudor history yeah. and had read all the novels to somebody who'd never uh, read anything about mm. it but could just pick up what they needed to know mm. on, on the evening and I would hope that those two people would have a similar quality of evening, and that yeah. was always the ambition. Yeah, oh, fantastic. That's um, I hope Mirror and the Light comes out fairly soon. I don't know if that one will be turning to play. Would you work on it if it? Of course. I mean, if I got the opportunity, the final, yeah, yeah, it'd be really wonderful. Part. It'd be wonderful to put three together. I've been feeling recently seeing Bring Out the Bodies. Mm. I've really been wanting that third part of the story. Yeah. It feels like I. I just really want to see what happens to him because it's just they're satisfying and they land um, and bodies is a, is a terrific finish but I want it there's just the, the, the circle hasn't entirely turned yeah. and I want to see what happens to Cromwell and knowing the history a little bit there's just a few things that need to happen I know I love that bit um, at the, in the first play of kind of Jane Seymour goes out and says to Cromwell he's like oh who are you and she's like oh this James Seymour, yeah. and you kind of think like, oh, yeah. <laughs> just that kind of, you know yeah, the fact that we know what's happening, it's incredible. Well, yeah, yeah. thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been, you know, fun, and it's been very hot in here. It's been very hot.